thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Thank you for the promise to dry every tear. Thank you for also reminding us that you promised that your word will not come back void. <clears throat> and so today, we come again to your scripture to study, to, to understand who you are, to help us to draw closer to you. So would you, even now, breathe on us. Open our eyes and our ears. <clears throat> Give us the ability to understand, comprehend, and then apply it to every area of our life. <clears throat> I'm reminded today that my feet are clay. And except you speak, won't nothing be said. Fill me because I leak this morning. I leak. Do it, God. Just one more time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, choir. Excellent job. Thank you to all of the children's ministry team. This is your Sunday where you get a break, and so the kids are with us. So thank you for all your labors this month. Thank you to uh, Pastor Wilson and your leadership for that division as well. If you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4, I'm going to try to work my way through this passage of Scripture today. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, we are... In our exegetical walk through the book of 1 Samuel, uh, to our visitors here, this is a different Sunday for us, so thank you for your kindness. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time, family, <laughs> and line by line. And so we are doing our exegetical work this morning in the book of First Samuel chapter 4, so thank you for studying with us. I have a lengthy passage of scripture, so I will read it and then give you your seats, and I won't trouble you again. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted. They shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does this sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had came into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. 
Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his own tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of, the, of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. Then a man from Benjamin ran from the battle line that same day. And he came to Shiloh with his clothes turned and dirt on his head, torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on the seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all of the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does this sound of the, this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli these words. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were dim so he couldn't see. And the man said to him, Eli, I, I am the one who've come from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. And also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. And then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years now his daughter-in-law Phineas wife was with child and due to be delivered and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains that came upon her and about the time of her death the woman who stood by her side said to her, Do not be fear or be afraid, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to tag this message today. The trouble, trials, and tribulation in Israel. There's a sad commentary this, this morning, family, in this text. For we see the priest. The priest's first family who led a nation. They led a nation into battle only to lose the most sacred thing that the people had, the Ark of the Covenant. You see, Israel's enemies were treacherous, and they could not seem to defeat them. And as a result, Israel lived in fear of the Philistines, and God allowed the Philistines to get victory over Israel's lives. Now this text looks like God was nowhere to be found. It looks like he left the people of God. However, what we have actually going on in the text is not God forsaking them, but rather God removing from them an ungodly priesthood so he could call his people back unto himself. Now, though this, this text is a horrific trial, you need to know something, students, that God is still God. Yes. 
And God can never be defeated by man. Are you listening here? In fact, no person, no thing in the universe can defeat God. And so he is God, and we can learn from this text that when he allows trouble, trials, or tribulation to occur in the life of the believer, he's not absent. Rather, he's teaching them about his ways and his standards. Can I say some more? Eli and his sons had disobeyed God. And as a result of the priesthood, they brought calamity upon the whole nation. And that's what this story is about. This story is about the consequences for, for a man of God who doesn't check sin in his own house. See, sin in the man of God's house influences his children and his people and God's people and all of their everyday activities. So God was using the three T's to get Israel's attention. Trouble, trials, and tribulation. Why, Pastor? Because God will not be mocked. Can I talk to you today? God's got somebody's name on this text today. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from. But God wants to get your attention. And perhaps he's using trouble, trials, and tribulation. Those are my three points. Are you ready to study? Verses 1 through 11 opens up our very first point, the trouble of Israel. As I read earlier, the text says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And they encamped behind a big rock that was called Ebenezer. That's what it means. And the Philistines came from Aphak, and they assembled themselves in the valley, and Israel went out to fight, and they got defeated. 4,000 men died that day in the battle. <clears throat> and then the people came from the camp, and they, the elders got together, and they asked the right question. They say, why has the Lord defeated us? Did you see that right there? Not why has the Philistine defeated us, because they knew they were God's people. They asked the right question, but they don't wait on the answer. The Bible says in verse 3 that they came up with a strategy. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. And then this time when he comes among us, we can have victory over our enemies. Can I work right here? Notice this. In verses 1 through 4, we see the nation of Israel, the people of God, do several things. Several things that are not consistent with the people who should know how to walk with God. Number one, what they do is they engage in a battle without ever consulting God if they should be fighting in the first place. The second thing we see here is that when they get an understanding of what they've done wrong, they still don't inquire from God. Instead, they come up with an idea to take the ark of God and use it on their behalf in the battle as if God is a good luck charm. The third thing they did wrong is that they chose two men to carry the ark of the covenant that God had already said, I'm going to kill in chapter two. In other words, they followed the wrong preacher. And then number four, the, though the ark of God is with them, and the ark of God, by the way, was a picture of the presence and power of God among his people. Though his presence was with them, listen to this, God would not protect them. Y'all with me here? Why would God not protect them? Because God was not with the men who was carrying the ark. God had already told Eli last week in chapter 2 that he was not pleased with his sons. And Eli wouldn't take 
control of his house. And though Eli knew God was angry with his sons, watch this, he still gave them permission to carry the ark. And as a result, the foolish decision of Eli cost 4,000 men their lives. Listen, it's possible to follow the wrong preacher and mess up a whole community. These four things are just a few of the problems that cause Israel's trouble. Can I call roll? Number one, the majority of what caused the trouble was Eli's inability to repent and to turn from his idolatry. I think that's what's wrong with America, but I'll talk about that later. Number two, he made his wicked sons his idol. And as a result, he allowed them to take the place of God in his own life. He could no longer even hear from God because he kept listening to Hophni and Phinehas. He allowed them, watch this guys, he allowed them dads, I'm talking to the fathers now, he allowed them to mishandle the things of God in the tabernacle. And he refused to stop them even when he knew their behavior was wicked. That's the kind of daddy he was. Knew his kids was jacking people in the church. Sleeping with the girls, making them prostitutes, and the dad wouldn't check his behavior. Listen, if you know your kid is out of line and misbehaving, you better say something. It's not only going to cost their life, it's going to cost the life of others in the community. Can I say some more? Eli knew what the law said, Reverend Tate. He knew the Torah. Yet he disregarded holy instructions. And so his blatant defiance and rejection of God's word, Brother Jamel, and him failing to take heed to the two prophetic warnings that come to him from God about his family, allow God to now remove the hedge of protection that accompanied Israel every time they walk with the ark. You do know it's, it's, it's possible for God to be with you but remove the hedge of protection and allow the enemy to devastate your family. Can I say some more? The text says in verses 5 through 8 that when the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, right, they all shouted, and they shouted so loud it shook the earth. Reverend Tong, the text goes on to say that the enemy's camp heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant had come into Israel's camp, and the enemy panicked. The enemy says, um, Oh, my God, God is with them, right? I'm paraphrasing. Woe is to us. Who's going to deliver us from the hand of this mighty God? Because this is the God, watch this now, that defeated the Egyptians. Are you with me here? So the enemy was aware of God's power and ability to protect and to do victorious things on behalf of Israel. And so they get afraid. But watch this. The text taken, takes an enormous turn from verses 8 to verse 9. That the text says somebody, we don't know who, spoke up on behalf of the Philistines. They just got through saying we afraid. But look at verse 9. Be strong. And conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you, you might not become servants of the Hebrews as they've been to you. So conduct yourselves like men and fight. Can I put a pen in, in the car right here? I think this is God encouraging the enemy to fight against his own people. Why? Because it doesn't fit. It's abnormal. First, we see that God's people are disobedient and that they're out of God's will. He allowed them to get defeated in verse 5 or 4 or whatever that is, right? And then they don't consult God, but they go and get the ark. They get the wrong people to lead in the battle, and they think they can do this without God. And God don't stop them. 
He let them go right ahead. But what he does is fortify the Philistines. Why? He's getting ready to use the enemy to whoop his people. Did I tell you that even the devil is God's devil? And he can't do nothing in the earth without getting my daddy's permission. So when you see a satanic attack happening in a community or neighborhood, he's had to consult with the most high God to get permission to whoop God's people. Listen, ain't nobody equal with your God. Are you kidding me? He's got all power of heaven and earth in his hand. So if he let trials, trouble, and tribulation come your way, you ought to check yourself and find out what's going on in your life. Can I say some more? The Philistines knew the story, how God had delivered Israel. And they understood that they were defeated as long as Israel had the Ark of the Covenant. But here we discover that God is going to use them to teach his own people a lesson. But they didn't even know that it was God going to give them the victory. They had no idea. They didn't know that God was going to allow them access to defeat Israel because God was not pleased with their behavior. Can I park the car right here? Family, we can learn from this text today that God can use calamity to get his people's attention. Y'all in here with me? Sometimes he uses your enemies to teach you a lesson. Sometimes he uses your own consequences to get your attention. Sometimes he gives your troubles direct access to turn on you, turn back to you and cause you grief. Listen, when we fail to obey him and fail to consult him, he has a way to inform you because he is still God. Listen, the text teaches us that God's presence was there in the battle, right? The ark was there. However, he was not there to fight for Israel, but fight against Israel. Has God ever fought against you? You called on his name and the outcome is just the opposite. Look, Israel was defeated and God was right there. Israel ran for their lives and God was yeah, come on, talk to me. Israel was slaughtered by thousands and God was. His presence was in the midst of everything that happened. And it all happened in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't like God took a vacation. No, he was present in the midst of the calamity. And sometimes God is right in the midst of your mess. And he doesn't protect you, but he allows you to get afflicted. So he can get your attention. The Philistines did not believe they could win. They didn't believe it. But God is the one that gave them the courage to go out and fight against Israel. And when he did that, they took that, or he rather, took down the protective hedge around them. And gave the wicked Philistines access to his very own people. Can I ask you a question? Guess not. Nobody answered. What do you do when the Lord helps your enemy to whoop you? What do you do when the Lord gives you over into the hands of the enemy? Who can help you? When the Lord has caused your calamity. Where do you go when the Lord has removed the hedge of protection from your family? Look, Israel was in trouble and they got that way, watch this now, because of their priest, their judge, Pastor Eli, and his failure to obey God. Now I know what y'all are thinking. Pastor, that's too much to put on Eli. No, not in the theocracy of God. See, Eli was responsible for the holy sacrifices. And everything in Israel was centered around the body, the church. 
and for the priest to be corrupt, because his sons were corrupt, the nation became corrupt. I guess the way you can say it is, as the church goes, so goes the nation. Y'all in here now? You need to care about what your preacher got to say. You need to care about if his life has gotten raggedy. You need to care about the word of the Lord in the community. Am I in here now? Listen, when the head of the family or a nation disobeys God, the wrath of God will fall not only on him, but on the whole family. So when God's man is out of his will and has been warned about his disobedience and he refuses to repent, calamity is sure to come on all those who are under his care. Come on in here and talk to me. Disagree, jump up, get mad, throw something or do something. Come on. Let me know you in here this morning. This lesson teaches us that no trouble comes to God's people that God isn't aware of and isn't present in. That's Israel's trouble. Let's look at Israel's trial. The text says in verse 11, and the ark of God, Mr. McBee, was also captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. That's very significant. Hold, hold that in your thoughts. Then the text says, then a man from the tribe of Benjamin, he ran from the battle line to go back to Shiloh to give the report of what happened. Now, why do that? Because Shiloh was the center of religious activity. It was where the tabernacle was. And everything around the tabernacle led the nation. So because they had the ark present in the war, and now God allowed the Philistines to defeat them, he's got to run back to the city and the temple and give the report of what has happened. Are y'all with me here? And then the text says that when Eli heard the commotion from the city about the news that had taken place, he's blind now and he can't see. The man now runs to the priest, Eli, who was watching on the wall or waiting and listening for the response of the war. He gives the response that his sons are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. And Eli falls off of the priest's place on the wall and breaks his neck. Can I unpack that there? Now, when we gather at this next portion of this text, the verses I just summarized for you, this new trial, somebody say new trial, trial. is going to cause Israel to tremble at the thought that God might have left them. They've been defeated by an enemy that they should have whooped. 30,000 sons now have already been down, just been killed. And now their priest has been killed. And the ark of God has been taken from them. And so Israel was sitting with a weakened army, no spiritual leadership, No judge now to rule over the people, and it is calamity in the nation. They are in a new trial, and they are most likely fearful, Dr. Beckel, that now the Philistines are sure to move in and take captive or take them all into captivity. And again, here I go. All of this occurs, Mason, because Eli failed to obey God. And to discipline his children. Why why you say that, Pastor? First of all, he was the judge of the nation. He oversaw all of the uh, activities, the the social and economic uh, activities of the nation, plus the, the family dynamics. It all flowed from him. Not only was he the judge, but he was the priest of the nation. And he's the one that brought calamity upon his people. So when the messenger comes to bring the report, Eli's waiting and he, he already has a bad feeling about something because the text says his heart trembled. Right? 
for the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, this is the Wilson paraphrase of it. I think he knew better to trust Hophni and Phineas. But because he already established a pattern, he couldn't break it, Deke. That's all I'm trying to say. You do know it's possible if you start a pattern of letting your kids get away with stuff. It becomes harder for you to try to step up and be daddy now. He had a bad feeling about it, but he just went with it. He had an idea, Tong, that something didn't quite sound right. And when he hears the people in the city, he's really nervous now because this isn't a shout of victory. This is a great tumult, the Bible says. And when the messenger gives him the report, I like to say he bows out. Falls off. And breaks his neck. What does this mean? Well, it means that God's prophecy will always come true. He already told him in the next, the previous two chapters, Sister Dina, he was going to kill his boys. Remember that? The strange prophet came up and then little Samuel told him about the vision he had. So he was already aware that God was going to kill his boys. And now he's aware that God always keeps his word. Somebody hear me in here? You should tweet that right there. God will keep his word. If he say, I'm going to get you, that's what that means. Can I ask you another question? Did Eli have to fall? Or did he just lose his balance? Did he have a heart attack and fall? Did he forget that God was holy? I think he thought that the ark of the Lord would always protect them from evil and calamity. I think he thought that God would always be on their side even when they were not on the Lord's side. I think he forgot that nobody controls the Ark of the Covenant. Israel did not have control over the presence and power of God. God was not their ecclesiastical bellhop. Just because they had a relationship with God didn't mean they can control God's direction over their life. And just for the sake of the writer... Nobody captures God. <laughs> I missed somebody right there. They got the ark. Eli forgot. Nobody captures God. Listen, Eli forgot about the sovereign power of God. So no man arrests God or makes God do something on their behalf. Who do you think you are? Trying to order God to do something. You better sit down for your molecules evaporate. Are y'all listening to me? Be careful of the fool who think they can shake their fists at God. Be careful of the fool that think God ain't going to judge your behavior. You can do whatever you want to do and there ain't going to be no consequences with God. You ought to step away Grandma didn't say, get out of striking distance. Can I turn the light on? Somebody should have told Eli, you can't make God fight for you. Somebody should have told him, Reverend Wilson, that you can't make God bless you a certain way. Somebody should have told him you can't make God come to your rescue. Somebody should have told him you can't make God rally to your defense. You can't make God look past your sins or the sins of your children. If he said, I'm going to get you, he means I'm going. You can't make God fix your way out of some trouble that you cause in your disobedience. Consequences are already on the agenda. Look, he is God and he will not be ordered around like your personal genie. You watch out for these fools who are telling you to mail them some money. And they're going to send you a certain cloth. And they're going to lay hands on it and they're going to bless it and your blessing going to come. What? 
Y'all listening to me? You be careful of these people trying to act on behalf of God, trying to speak a blessing over your life from God. You don't have that authority. You can ask God to help somebody, but no man has the power or position to declare anything. The best we can do is ask God to have mercy on us and hear our cry. Am I talking to you here? Listen, Eli didn't know it. He didn't know it. But it was God who gave the Philistines the victory. It was God that let his enemy prosper. It was God who orchestrated Israel's defeat. It was God who killed his sons in battle and allowed the enemy to bring the ark into their country. Now the question is, why would God do this? I'm glad you asked. God would do this because God had a plan. Unless I get ahead of myself, next week you're going to see why God allows them to take the ark in the Philistine country. Because he's getting ready to whoop Dagon in their temple. Dagon is their God. Go on and read ahead. I want you to get a good laugh. See, God allows stuff because he's doing stuff. Come on, help me, Holy Ghost. Just a little while. He was going to teach Israel to fear him again. He was going to teach Israel to have reverence for his presence. You do know we we always border on the, the fault of getting over familiar with the presence of God. Come on in here. We guilty, we guilty. Go on and admit it on the stand right now. You guilty. Sometimes you take God's presence for granted. You know he's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. You know that. But you just do you every now and then. And forget that the God you serve is present and watching your every move, your every thought, and your every word. Taking for granted, taking for granted. Why, 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 why else would he do this, Pastor? He, well, he was going to remove a corrupt priest who did not truly worship him. And he was going to replace them with a servant who loved him and had his heart. That's why chapters 1 and 2 is all about Samuel, the miracle baby, now given to God in the tabernacle to be raised in the tabernacle. Samuel at this time is a young minister, so he's just wiped out Eli, just wiped out Hophni and Phinehas, just wiped out the other corrupt portion of the nation that was following them, and now he's got a new priest. A new judge who has his heart. In other words, don't think you can't be replaced. Y'all in here? This side is talking. This side is always quiet. Y'all go. Okay, come on, y'all. Talk to me. He was going to reveal himself also to the Philistines. And watch this. He didn't need Israel to do it for him. Somebody hold on to that. You know God don't need you to fight his battles? You ain't God's big brother. Come on, talk to me. Who told you the Lord needs you to fight for him? He needs you to be a witness for him. And if any way you want to fight, it ought to be with a battle of praise. You ought to be able to praise him in the face of your enemies. Tell him, y'all go ahead and laugh because my God is on the way. Go on and rack my body with pain, cancer, because my God is about to show up. Y'all listening to me? Listen, here's the application, family. Sometimes, family, the trials in our life are given to us that God may redirect our thinking. Sometimes, family, the trials that come our way are to make us see God like we've never seen him before. See, sometimes we don't worship like we ought to worship because we got too familiar. Sometimes our enemy, Mason, he, he, he wins because God lets him win. God lets him win only to make him lose. Y'all catch that right there? 
Yeah, yeah, see, Sister Billings had an enemy. It's called cancer. Cancer was whooping her. Thought he had her on the ropes. But our plan and God's plan are not the same plan. We praying for a comeback in the 12th round. God's planning for a promotion to whoop cancer altogether. Are you with me here? The physicians ain't got the cure, but God got the cure. And God got the cure so it never come back again. And not only that, God knows how to use that type of suffering to make your worship like you forgot how to worship. So when he wins, we win. So don't leave here thinking she lost. No, she didn't lose because God never loses. I heard somebody say God is always better. So when he allows for that type of suffering, he allows for the victory, watch this now, not to go to her but to go to him. You got to always remember new beginnings. I don't care how bad it gets, how tough the trouble, how deep the trial, that God never loses. High five somebody, tell him he never loses. He never loses. God never lost a battle, Grady. Y'all in here? I thought y'all were getting more happier. He ain't never had a loss. He is the only, yeah, thank you, Lord. He is the only undisputed heavyweight champion in the universe never lost a round never lost a punch never lost anything undefeated Satan tried but got knocked out sin tried but at the cross it got why he's the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe your God never loses Am I talking to anybody in here? I wish somebody get a little God attitude right now. Just shake your head. My God's a winner. Y'all in here with me? All right, sit down and I'm going to give you the rest. He never loses. He never loses. No man whoops God. Go on and write that down. Go on and write that down. No man whoops God. I like this too. No man captures the creator of the universe. Y'all catch that right there? Israel allowed for their mind to give them trouble. And they actually thought their God had been captured. No man captures God. Are you with me? Can you put God in a box? Can you put him in a bottle? The ark was a type, a symbol of the glory of God. The presence of God with men. And when Jesus comes in the New Testament, you don't need the ark no more. He becomes the physical embodiment of the ark that put on flesh. That's why they didn't know what to do with him. Are y'all with me here? And I got Jesus. And my mother-in-law say he more than enough. Can I turn the light on right here? I feel my hope getting better. Look, we ought to never get so despondent that we count God out. Don't don't let bad news make you fall out on God like Eli did. Now with me here. That ain't the plan. That ain't the time to fall out. That's the plan or the time to stand up. Y'all quit falling out when stuff go bad. When you fall out, you act like your God is defeated. Come on in here. Quit falling out, whining, and pouting. You can cry. You can doubt, but don't fall out. Are you with me here? God is still going to be God, regardless to my trouble or my trial. Come on, high five sometimes. Gentlemen, you got that. You got that. You got that. Can I keep preaching like I feel it? Don't let, don't let, don't let disappointment Make you commit suicide. 
That, that's, 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 that's sad. That, that's a cop out. It's your way to try to get out of something. But no, God don't need you to get out of it. He needs you to get in it. Because if you get in it, your praise will change. If you get in it, your worship won't be mundane. If you get in it, he can show you something about yourself. If you get in it, he'll bring you out of it. But he brings it to you so you can get in the trouble. To know he's the God who delivers from trouble. Are you listening here? Sometimes the trouble is the blessing. Sometimes the trouble is the benefactor. Sometimes the trouble is what you need. So you can have a shift in your perspectives. So your thoughts and ideas about God will change. I already told you he's the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. He ain't going to let you down. Don't let a little battle make you throw the towel in. Why? Because God will always get the last word. Listen, you may be on trial today, but don't quit on God. You may be in a little trial of a lifetime, but don't give up on God. Is there anybody here that knows God will bring you out? Come on, testify. I need you to stand up and wave your hand because somebody needs to see the overcomers. Is there anybody here that knows God can whoop your enemy? Is there anybody here knows he can always be trusted? Yes. Is there anybody here knows he'll show up in the nick of time? Yes. Won't God do the impossible for his children? Yes. Then hug, shake five hands and tell them, hang on, hang on. You can make it, you can make it. Israel had trouble. Israel had trials. And their trials and trouble turned into tribulation. Now this next few verses are critical for your learning. Because the writer takes a shift in the story. And he looks in on the household of Eli here. The text says in verse 19, now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, she was with a child. And she was due to deliver. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor. And the text says, daughter Kristen, that she bowed herself and gave birth. For her labor pains were strong and they came upon her. And then notice this in verse 20. And about the time of her death, in other words, She's dying as she's giving birth to this baby. The woman who is helping her, the midwife, says to her to encourage her, don't be afraid. God has given you a son. But the girl didn't answer. And then all of a sudden, from her grief and her pain and her tribulation, watch this now, she names her baby. She calls him Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. Let me unpack that. When we gather at this portion of the text, we see that the troubled trials and tribulation, again, as I mentioned, captured is Israel. And this tribulation caused the baby girl to have the baby. Now she gives birth. Watch this now. Watch this now. Her labor is literally filled with sorrow. You know how daughters, when you give birth, there's some sorrow because of the pain. But it's sorrow that looks toward the joy of the baby coming. She doesn't have the joy side. She's literally giving birth to die. Watch. And she's doing this because her husband is gone. He was taken for her, from her in war. 
Not only that, but his father is gone. Who wasn't just her father-in-law, he was also her judge. Her priest. Right? And then on top of that, she believes that the presence of God is gone from their family and from their home. So it's with great sorrow that she's given birth. And she's grieving all the way through the delivery. So in her tribulation, it said that she too dies. But look at this. Before she dies, God lets her bring forth life. Can I say some more? And when she brings forth life, instead of blessing the child, she curses the child. What do you mean, Pastor? She curses the child because of her own disappointment with life. And she gives him a name that he's going to have for all of eternity. She calls him Ichabod. Saying, I'm dying and the glory of God won't be with you either. Am I in the text? Listen, because of our own sorrow, Reverend Brown... Death makes life, yeah, hard for somebody else. Because of her own negative experience, Garcia, she ruined the celebration of life for the baby who doesn't even know her story. Because of her own bad experience, Brother Gray, she projected that grief onto somebody who didn't have to know it. I know I missed you, so let me break it this way. We got to be careful, family, with our bad experiences and how we project them on our children. See, because death and misery has been your experience, you shouldn't project your despair on the one who got a chance at life. Because you made a bad decision, don't make your children pay for it. Sometimes we can be so miserable that everything around that's trying to live gets suffocated by your dying. If you had a chance to live, then give somebody else a chance to live also. Don't kill them by giving them a name, a title, or a legacy that's going to kill them before they even start. She named me Michabod, and the glory of God ain't going to be with you. She didn't have to name that boy Ichabod. And as a result, now his future was going to be horrible. What you mean, Pastor? Every time they called his name, his self-image of himself was going to be bad. God ain't with you. Come over here. God ain't with you. God ain't with you. Quit messing up. God ain't with you. You're always doing something. That's why your mama named you like that. You're just like your daddy. The way he thought of himself will be framed by his mother's last words and description of him. When she saw him, she said, the glory of God is gone. He ain't with you. What a terrible thing to say to a person. What a terrible thing to do to your child. What a terrible way to start a life. Look, she was wrong for that. And she was wrong about the glory of God too. Can I argue that thing? Look, you should never name your baby after a bad experience. Why? It'll be a reminder to you and to them of the calamity that you went through. She was wronged about the glory of God. Can I tell you why she was wrong? Can I tell you why she was wrong? The glory of God can't depart from life. That's the reason why life comes forth. All right, y'all ain't convinced. I'll give you some more. Listen, life can't dictate to God where his glory will appear. And who it will appear on. Life comes forth as a direct result from the glory of God. I got truth for that. Science right now is trying to figure out how to give life. They splicing sheep and goats and donkeys. 
trying to make an embryo. Come on, talk to me. Why? They want the glory of God, but nobody can do that but God. Are y'all in here? Okay, let me give you some more theology. The glory of God is not dependent upon man. No, God is glorified all over the earth. If in the good, he's glorified. In the bad, he's glorified. When things go your way, and when they don't go your way, he's glorified. Can I say some more? Just because her husband died didn't mean God wasn't glorified. Because God said, I'm going to kill him. Just because her father-in-law ain't around no more don't mean God wasn't glorified. Because God warned that fool he was going to do it. Just because God let the Philistines win didn't mean he wasn't glorified because that wasn't the end of the story. Can I say some more? Somebody should go back in time and tell her, girl, God don't share his glory with nobody. Somebody should go back and tell her he will always get the glory. Somebody should go back and tell her the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell within. Are you with me here? All of creation is the Lord's and his presence is everywhere at all times. And where his presence is, his glory resides. Can I turn the light on? Other day I was up at uh, up in uh, the mountains with the freshman retreat, and we were in awe at the stars, the glory of God, hanging on hanging on the black bosom sky, twinkling without any hope. Y'all listening here? I'm in awe of His glory today. How does He make uh, gravity work? How does he really make the oxygen operate? We know that water is made up of H2O. But as Brother Staley said, how do you get H2O? There are so many splendorful and wondrous things in the universe that if you stop to get off your high horse about yourself, you will see the glory of God. You can look at your imprints and every last one of them different. Every hand is different in this room. Every eye is different in this room. Every ear. You're the only one of your masterpiece in the universe. That's the glory of God. And Satan tries to get you to mark it up, to cut it up, to make you think it ain't good enough like it is. Do you know who you are? You are walking visible images of the glory of God. So for her to declare this over this boy, the Ichabod, she didn't know who her God was. Can I say some more? She was thinking God had left Israel, but she was mistaken. She was thinking that the Lord had given up on his people, but she was wrong. No, no, and I'm on my way to my seat. God wasn't giving up on Israel. No, God was still teaching Israel. Because in the next chapter, he's going to teach Israel that I don't need your help to whoop the Philistines. I'm Yahweh, and there's nobody else like me. He was going to teach them that I'm the only true and living God, and I'm not going to share my universe with another God. In the next chapter, he's going to teach them that Dagon ain't a God at all. He's a statue, and he's going to chop his head off and take his arms off. In the next chapter, he going to bring the ark back to Israel. And he going to bring it back on some cows. Are y'all in here now? God's going to show Israel and the Philistines that his glory won't be mocked. You can see the glory of God ain't contingent upon man. Because God is God all by himself. 
The heavens declare his earth, his glory. The earth declare his glory. The creatures declare his glory. The divine declares his glory. And no man has a monopoly on the glory of God. And when God got ready to give us the ultimate picture of his glory, he became a man. Came down through the immaculate birth of a virgin girl. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. When you want to know what the glory of God looks like, open the New Testament and look at Jesus. Can I call roll right here? In all of his glory, he changed water into wine. In all of his glory, he cast out devils inside of human beings. In all of his glory, he walked on water and calmed the storm. In all of his glory, he took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people. Y'all ain't happy yet, so let me run the story. In all of his glory, he gave sight to the blind. In all of his glory, he gave hearing to the deaf. In all of his glory, he raised up the sick. He brought them eternal joy. But when God got ready to display the awesomeness of his glory, you see it best on a hill outside of Jerusalem. See, out old Calvary's cross, there's no greater picture of the glory of of God can I tell the story out on the cross you see the glory of God's sacrificial system in place from Genesis to run through Revelation come in here and I'll tell you some more God decided in Genesis there must be blood shed for the remission of man's sin and then God began came his own sacrifice called the Lamb of God. Now that's God's glory but that's not all. God declared in Exodus only one man can offer up a sacrifice and then have his own sin purged. That was called the high priest and now on the cross God became the Lamb and God God became the high priest and then there's more in order for the sacrifice to be accepted in men reconciled back to God God himself had to be present to accept the sacrifice now out on the cross I see the salvific plan of God he's the lamb he's the high priest and then he's his own intercessor Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God and on Calvary rest the glory of God 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 died. God accepted the sacrifice. God prayed. And then God finished the rest. Came down off the cross. And God went into the grave. Took the sting out of death. Canceled the devil's policy. Grabbed the keys back to glory. Rose early Sunday morning. And stepped out on resurrection ground. With glory never seen before they said with that new body he could appear in rooms you could see the nail prints in his hand and with that body he had power to give us instruction the glory of God ain't finished yet he went back at the right hand of the father sent down his spirit and gave birth to the church now when you're looking for the glory of God you don't even have to go to Calvary you can look inside of the church because his image is in the church his body is in the church if you want to see the glory of God you got to join a local church because in the church there's gifts 
given by the Holy Ghost in the church does the body of baptized believers in the church does the hope of the resurrection does the gospel of Jesus Christ does the good news of salvation and all over the world God's glory is shining there's a church in Australia there's a church in Japan there's a church in China there's a church in Russia there's a church in Europe there's a church in Germany there's a church in Africa there's a church in Canada in South America and North America and the glory of God is still in the earth I don't know how you feel about it but God's glory will never be removed and when he comes his glory will shine the church will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye and that's the only time for seven years on the calendar when the earth will not see the glory of God but they're going to miss the church of Jesus Christ but at the end I said at the end of the seven years of tribulation we'll crack the sky mount the trusty steeds and we'll ride with King Jesus coming back to earth and Jesus will rule all of the world from Jerusalem the glory of God will burn his brightest for one million years on the face of the earth will our king, our priest and our judge our sacrifice our redeemer, our helper our life support our savior, our friend as the head of all governments as the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, I'm closing now, but he's good, he's good, he's good, and he's good, and his glory shall always be revealed. High five somebody, tell them glory to God. Shake somebody else's hand, tell them neighbor he's good, he's worthy of the praise. Let's give the Lord some praise right there.